the decline in students. What do y'all? It was the administration. What it was that? Okay. okay. That doesn't take long to get out in the public, and when you're paying. Charles Smith. Hey there. Good. Ken Floyd. Good to see you. Charles That one. Nice to meet you. Everything good? Five minutes until we next night. <laughs> <laughs> we're here just talking. It seems like there's there's always something comes up. You know? Well, this might be a little bit lighter for you than the. Here's my card. It, anyway. Um, yes, sir. Thank you. Yep. So, uh, just to kind of recap, uh, thank you, Bob, for inviting us in to uh, talk. I know we, when Bob and I met, there was a, uh, we were talking about ways we could improve possibly the HVAC mechanical systems and, and took a look at that. We created an action plan and uh, with the action plan it entailed coming out to uh, do what we call a, a physical assessment of the property and I've got some photos uh, to share with you guys of some things we found and also uh, Bob shared some financials on Ultimately, we're trying to figure out how much it costs per square foot to own and operate your facility. And that's where the financial piece comes in. Uh, link service is a big part of our operation. That's our franchise. T total comfort was started in 1976. And then in, in 89, we uh, bought into to a, a, a franchise called Link Service. And that's really what sets us apart. Uh, and this is... As far as the action plans go, uh, this is the verification meeting where we get together and share what we found, I talk about the numbers that we've got, and uh, see how that all comes together. Uh, as far as a quick agenda, we've got some objectives that Bob and I talked about, the physical assessment and the uh, financial piece, recommendation. We do have a recommendation toward the end on, uh, on how we could possibly help you guys. And if it makes sense, a co-author of scope. So uh, this is a, a very important part where we agree upon next steps and co-author something that makes sense if it's something that you guys want to move forward with. And then, of course, agree upon next steps. And I'd just like to put this uh, graphic here of the our different offices. Kent is out of the Charleston office like we talked about, and he's here today just to help me because he has uh, – he was in town, and I said, come on. <laughs> so uh, Bob and I got together, and, and he helped me narrow down these as the key objectives, the first one being maximize the student, teacher, and staff retention, comfort, and experience. Uh, the second one was reduce operating problems. That, that's a, a key thing. Also, extend equipment life and uh, get what you have currently all shored up and working like they're supposed to be working. And then lastly, improve the system reliability. Keep things from breaking. <laughs> uh, and Do those kind of fall in line? I know that it's like y'all had a lot of discussions, but you know, as y'all kind of are, are talking about, you know, business issues and, and administration, obviously there's been a, a, a change in that, which sounds like that was definitely a, a move in the right direction. But do these sound like they're items that you all have talked about and would really be a benefit to, to help resolve? I know when we looked over options on what we were choosing as priorities, to me these just kind of jumped out because the other options all fed into these. And mm -hmm. They all depended on these, basically. So these were the priority to me. 
Mm -hmm. I care about reduce and extend. They can wear a coat. I'm not as But yeah, uh, uh, right now, what's causing me literally to lose sleep is the number of units we have breaking down. Mm -hmm. And there's no excuse for it until I saw the pictures, and that was an excuse for it. They're just not doing their job. They don't, they're changing filters, and it's uh, Revealing, I would say. It definitely keeps me up worried about it. And I, I'm waiting for the next one to break down when I get to work. That's almost where right. I am. And every one is 3,000, 4,000, 3,000. So this is, uh, you know, I'll put one on his. So this is, um, I'd like to just share this with you. Uh, part of my assessment with our technician was really getting a thorough inventory about what you've got. And, and really that entails getting model numbers and serial numbers and figuring out all the different fans and motors and all those removable parts that we need to be accountable for or aware of and, and account in, in everything that we're doing. So I'd just like to share this. You know, the first one's an equipment inventory just to show that we're Again, verify that I'm not missing any equipment here. Uh, and, and it's like 93 pieces of equipment. So you've got a ton of equipment. You've got a ton of pieces of equipment. And the last part is the filter schedule. Uh, each, each piece had a different kind of filter or size filter. And uh, I captured that in the air filter schedule. Uh, so now I'll share some of the photos from uh, the, the equipment. So. And I've kind of got these broken down. Uh, Bob, when we met last time, I've got them grouped into like sections. So I kind of pulled dirty coils. So how does this relate to student comfort and, and teacher experience? Well, the other thing to keep yeah. in mind, I'm sorry to interrupt That's okay. but they just did their preventative maintenance. Yeah, I know. I was about to say, was we this picture taken this after? This picture was taken after the preventative It's almost one week. Within a week <laughs> Yeah. Right. And, and that's a key thing that I, the reason why I put this picture here in the middle is you can see the brand new filter. So they're putting the filters in and, and you're getting a filter change, but these coils, um, you got some white growth there in the bottom of one of them, but. Yeah. I feel like I'm looking at a dead body, but these are hard to look at. Yeah. Well, and, and they well, are, and, uh, but I'm not just showing you this to see dirty coils, it, it's to realize this is causing the compressors to work overtime because they're having to pull the air through these dirty coils. Um, I don't know that they've been cleaned in the seven years. Uh, it's hard to tell, but based on what I found. Yeah, a big part of when you're, when you're looking at the, the coils themselves is, you know, the, the whole purpose of in this case, the evaporator coil, this is the part that provides the cooling in the facility. So when you, when you look at a, a, a big space, you know, an auditorium or gymnasium or cafeteria, um, you've got a lot of air volume. And because you've got a lot of kids and students kind of coming in and out, you know, we're bringing in a lot of outside air. So you've got a lot of humidity. And when you've got a relatively new building, you know, the one thing that can really affect the building is humidity. And so fortunately, these units are dehumidifiers. So they're designed to remove the moisture from that building, which ultimately helps improve the air quality, the, the 
the air and whatnot. And when you have cools like this that are starting to become impacted and coated, if you will, it, it doesn't allow those units to be very efficient and not only cooling the space, but also dehumidifying the space. Mm -hmm. So those units are having to run that much longer to achieve whatever your set points are in your thermostat. So that's putting a lot more wear and tear on the equipment, but also the components. So when you brought up earlier about, you know, you, what keeps you up at night is that you don't know when you come to work, what units you're gonna have issues with. Well, as long as systems are in this condition, they're gonna be running all the time. You know, cause once they start losing ground, based on what your set points are, they're having to make that up. And so they run all the time. And so those parts, you know, and you're right at that seven, eight year mark, you know, you're about 50, about 50% through its, the average life expectancy, this equipment. So this is really when you're gonna start experiencing those premature failures and issues, which obviously ties into the costs, right? Okay. And I was constantly getting calls because the gym was full. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's on in here. It's on in here. On a Saturday? Yeah. yeah. And I went and looked at it, and um, it was showing 76 degrees with a whole bunch of people in there, and it was muggy. It's hot. It's humid. And so I had it already set on 68 or 69. There's three units in there, of which two are operating, which causes more problems <coughs> and I cut it down to 67 because a lot of times that'll trigger it and drop down the set point or whatever and um, hour later I get another call and it's still hot in here I checked it and gone down one degree mm -hmm. and I had to move those things all the way down to 65 knowing I'm playing with fire here and those things are operating really hard to try to get it to cool the, the Discharge air never got below 66 or so, 67, yeah. which normally if I set it below, it'll 52, 53 just to drop that temperature down until it hits the set point. It never got to that. So yeah. It was warm in there the entire time. Mm -hmm. Well, Nothing I could do about it. Well, one thing to be thinking about when you've got a cool that's in this condition and you look at, at Nancy's Yeti or Tervis, you know, that Tervis is insulated. So therefore, the, the cooling contents are never really going to become evident on the surface of that cup. Well, the same thing applies to these coils. You know, the intent of the evaporator cool is you've got cold, warm, hot air blowing across a cold surface, which when that happens, it condenses, right? So when it condenses, that's where you remove the moisture. Well, as long as those coils are essentially insulated with dirt, you're never gonna get that temperature on that surface come in contact with that humidity to where it's not gonna wring that moisture out. And that's why there's humid, it was humid and muggy in the gym. Joe, this, I put, they put this up. Matt went up on the roof last week, took mm -hmm. these pictures about a week after Walker White did their preventive maintenance. Over so the these, are, these are all after they're working on the units. So, uh, and I grouped them by coils, and then this is uh, loose and worn belt. So I just got a quick little uh, video here, but uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, shoot. Which part of the contract agreement is replace 
replace old and worn belt, and they're not doing it. If you look at the the second picture from left, that Simco. So essentially, that that's an enthalpy wheel. So the the sole purpose of that wheel is to save energy. It should be rotating to where you've got unit air coming in from outside and inside air coming out. Well, when you've got the inside air going out, that air is essentially conditioned, right? You've already paid to have the moisture removed, the heat removed, so it's cool air. So what it does is, is that wheel rotates, it subcools that surface space. Well, as that wheel then rotates into the exhaust air and you have that hot, humid air coming from outside, it then goes through that wheel and it comes into contact with that cooler surface that's intended to knock out some of that heat and humidity of that air before it gets introduced into your building. Is that wheel on that PRV side of it? That's right. And that's what brings in the outside air. <laughs> it's, it's, it essentially mixes, correct. Some of these are working, some of them are not. Bear with me one second. But I, this is the one. There it is. You can see real loose belts. That's causing the motors to slip, pulleys to slip. I don't know when they were changed. Not last week. Or, no. There, the bolts were loose. You could turn them by your, with a hand. Uh, this right here, it, the picture in the middle, the belt was off. Uh, this one was super loose. Same there. Uh, electrical, so normally what, what happens is that every quarter when we come in to do the PM, we'll take like a paintbrush and just brush out the cobwebs and the spider webs. You can see in the top center picture there, there's spiders all around the electrical components. That's not good. This one had, it was rusted. I don't know how long that's been there, but condensation and moisture on the electrical pieces there. So there, the, the, there's just not, I don't think, time taken get in, getting into the electrical panels and looking at these. Well, going back when, when you've got water, yep. you've got water that's being contained inside a unit like that, it's ultimately going to rust out. And unfortunately, on these mechanical systems, whenever you've got structural parts like the panels and the cabinets and they start rusting, at that point, you're looking at replacement. Hmm. So, you know, when we looked at, you know, extended life of the equipment, there's maintenance stuff we can do to prevent further deterioration and, and wear and tear. But when it comes to actual systems rusting, there's not a lot you can do to correct those actions other than replacement. So importantly is making sure that, you know, one water is not being retained inside of a unit, make sure it's draining properly. Or in this case, when water is getting there, you know, finding out why, because clearly that panel is not designed to be wet. When you've got live electrical wires, um, electricity and water doesn't, doesn't go well. And the condensate and, uh, the pans and the drains, you know, this normally gets cleaned out once a quarter, but we took off a few of those, uh, the P-traps and knocked them out and there was all kinds of gunk in there. That, when that backs up, you know, that backs up in the, the drain pan, which is the bottom left-hand picture here. And you can see there was gunk in that one. There was like actual pieces of insulation. Uh, that'll cause it to back up into the machine 
standing water is not good. That's where white and black things like to grow <laughs> and stand in water. So it's real important once a quarter to knock out those drain lines and just it's a simple take it off and knock it out. But I just wanted to share about that. And then workmanship. So there's not really much to call this except workmanship. Uh, this is a little, it takes one screw, you know, that should have been fastened up there. Uh, that's part of a controller. So that's all your low voltage in your controls. Yep. So those are, I mean, just like on a thermostat, I mean, it's just a little wire, a little screw that compresses that wire. So is it's being, if it's essentially hanging by those wires over a matter of time, they're going to come loose and become disconnected. And that, that will take your unit down. And then uh, the little screws and, and, and bolts, you know, Bob shared that one of the frustrating things for him is when he finds cigarette butts on the roof or a, a handful of screws, because that's going to cause roof issues when you, and it might have had, I think you've had roof issues in the past from screws and stuff getting stepped on. But uh, this was making a scraping that it, it needs to be adjusted and worked on. And then again there, just growth, um, white growth. This is workmanship issues. So when I showed this to Bob, the center photo, if you look out over toward the um, rotunda, the unit to the bottom left, I noticed that the whole panel was off and uh, you can't see it from here very well, but there's a lot of condensation on the, on the panel just laying on the roof. Yeah, that's the electrical section there. So uh, Bob said he noticed it when he went up there uh, and it, it didn't get put back on. You know, that was like panels they off. Were working, they were doing the preventative maintenance and I went out and saw it and I just assumed that they weren't done working on it yet. And I even mentioned to the guy, you know, about the panel. Oh uh, yeah, no problem, got it, whatever. Never was even put back on. Uh, and in the bottom right-hand corner, it just said, it's like they were working on something and then left the parts on the ground there. Uh, so several, these are washable filters that should be washed. And uh, with the wasp nest there, that's clear an indication that they hadn't been taken down and washed. Uh, several holes in those filters. So we call those uh, brick catchers because they'll catch a brick, but everything else kind of goes through, you know. Those are supposed to be the first line of defense for bringing in fresh air um, and, and stop a lot of the debris and, and uh, dust in the air. But a lot going on here, but all I was trying to show was we've got brand new filters, but there's a piece in the top left-hand corner of insulation that's just dangling down that, that when they put the, insula or put the filters in, they, it needs to be secured. And normally we'd wipe out the uh, damper there. With that insulation, if it falls down in, in line of those filters, it's going to become a complete blockage mm -hmm. to where airflow will no longer flow, you know, through that filter, obviously into that coil, which that could easily, you know, cut down your airflow by 20%. So when you've got, you know, big areas, big spaces, you know, just the amount of volume of air that's needed to kind of condition a space, um, things like belts, things like dirty coils, things like any obstruction is all going to have an impact on that airflow, which ultimately is going to affect the, you know, the air in the, in the space. These are just different. Uh, these are economizers. So they're made to bring in fresh air from the outside. 
and and I take the humidity out of the air when they go through there. But all pretty much all those were caked. So when Walker White was hired to install all this equipment, which mm-hmm. is why we kept them on. Okay. Um, for six years, I didn't know. Um, we were having a lot of trouble with the whole front office area. It was getting hot. It was, and then we started hearing noises from the main unit up there. And went on. We could not figure out what it was. Went up and looked at the unit itself. I had the train guy come in. I told him sometimes I just don't trust Walker White. I'll bring in train guy, which means we're paying two people, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred something an hour. So I brought in the main guy from the train and we're walking through and he heard some noise up in the main office. He said, that's odd. We went up and pulled off the panel. The plastic covering the intake with the blue tape around it was never taken off. From the factory, from the shipping? From the shipping. And the only reason it was operating at all was the pure pressure had popped a hole this big, and that was the total amount of air that was getting pulled in to supply five rooms back there, and I could never get it cool enough, Yeah. which was killing that unit. Yeah. All we did was go up there and pull off tape. I took a picture, sent it to Walker White. After eight years or seven it years was, of problem solved. almost seven years that that tape was up on there and was not taken construction on one thing that i've normally like to say in the very beginning but uh, is we're a service company first we were started in 1976 as a service company and we do some project installation work on the side but our our core is our maintenance base Uh, well everybody else has a their own lane you know ours is service there are some companies that are manufacturer of equipment and so their lane is new equipment. They might have a service department on the side to support the installation of new equipment. There's also companies that are uh, construction installation companies that might have a service side to support that. Uh, there are also some companies that do things like fire suppression and plumbing and HVAC. They do a lot of different things so it's not their main focus our main focus is service this is our bread and butter it's what we're set up to do i'd just like to show that because everybody it's not to throw walker white or anybody under the bus it's just to say this is our lane this is what we're set up to do we maintain about 800 buildings in the three states and uh so so after question after that was identified was there anything done to the rest of the systems to assure that they have been properly commissioned have, have you ever had a test and balance report done in the building? Not that I'm aware of. That would be done by Walker White? Or just it, so, so typically when a, when a building is completed, the engineer, whatever, will spec out a test and balance. In other words, like an example would be in this room, if they're calling out for X amount of CFM, they would technically have to verify that we're getting... 300 CFM out of that actual supply to make sure you have proper balancing. Well, I can't tell you that wasn't done. I don't have any paperwork to verify. Because those kind of issues are what will become, what will be uncovered during that report. You know, you'll physically see, okay, it's calling for 300, we're getting 50 (laughs) um, to help identify those problems. And And that also ties into like what we're seeing here. These are 
These are essentially outdoor air screens. Well, these units are designed to introduce so much outside air to provide fresh air for the students. So when you're looking at, you know, a whole auditorium full of students, you know, there's CO2 that gets emitted from the, from the people, right? So you're, you've got to replace that with fresh air. Well, this is all based on CFM and what positions your economizers are, but that's relying on the air being able to flow through these screens we introduced to the building. When you already have a restriction from the very first introduction of that air, nothing else downstream is going to be right. You know, if you're required to have 3,000 CFM of fresh air brought in, but because of limitations of your screens, you're bringing in 200 CFM, now you've got your building is not balanced properly. You've got essentially potential of a negatively pressurized building. You've got exhaust fans where they're pulling air out through bathrooms, through locker rooms, and things like that. And if you're not bringing that air in to replace the air that's being exhausted, now you've got air coming in through any kind of exterior penetration, whether that's through a door, whether that's through a, a window, whether if you ever have a roof leak, you know, all, I mean, your building's going to try to become neutral some way, somehow. Ultimately, it's done through a piece of mechanical equipment, so we're able to filter and then also dehumidify that air, thus providing you know, a little bit of positive pressure in the building. So every time you have an exterior door that opens, you want a little bit of that air to come out. I think there's a student in here that might not know how to get the light back on. <laughs> and one of the things uh, that we talked about is you guys have very energy efficient equipment. I mean, you've invested in the state of the art seven years ago. You've got these fancy ERV uh, heat recovery wheels that really save a ton on energy because they're recycling the heat from the exhaust. And that way you don't have to overcool uh, or overheat the air. It's recycling some of that heat. So you guys, as far as the energy standpoint, you, you bought a lot of great equipment that's, that should be working optimally. You know, it, it should be working uh, like, it's, like it's supposed to. And, and you know, you're not... It's not like you have a bunch of poor equipment. <laughs> you have state-of-the-art equipment that really is helping a ton. These are just a quick list of, of what I found, uh, and I'm not gonna read through them all, uh, but I, I do wanna say, it's a little bit blurry, sorry about that. But there were several issues when we went, you know, we touched every piece of equipment, looked inside each one of them. These last four, um, those are, the valiant uh, pieces. That's working the gym and the field house. So all four of those units had uh, had issues. Those are the ones that are bringing in the fresh air, the makeup air. So in the locker room um, of the field house, you've got the the guest side and the home side, and, and they're hot and humid because those those two units aren't working. The gym, when you said it was hot and humid on Saturday, that's big very well could be because those two units aren't working. Uh, there were several instances where it was tripped in the breaker or off in the breaker, and I believe that it's because a lot of these uh, filters aren't being cleaned correctly. And I'm almost done with pictures here, but, uh, so this is in the gym. On the, 
There's a big T there. On both sides of those T's are the grates. It's like a big screen. And if those are not clean, it's causing that compressor to work overtime. That's definitely draining it. The energy down, uh, or causing the energy bill to go up, but it's also wearing down the machine. And that could be affecting what happened on Saturday. That that's just a quarter inch screen. It looks like. That's right. Do you guys have lifts to access that? Yes, we have one here right now. We don't own one, but our electrician basically leaves it here about half the time, so we do have access to one right now. Okay. Because that's on the gymnasium floor, right? That's right. Are you able to operate that lift on the floor? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and I, I just took two shots of the locker room here to try to just get a visual like the hot humid air stale air that's directly from those two units on the top the valiant call them makeup air unit they're making up the fresh air um, and you can't see it from here but those two uh, controls say that they're faulted out that means that they're tripped off and not working and, and those are more complicated pieces of equipment that it takes a certain skill set to work on the they're not your standard piece of equipment. And then the two photos there on the bottom right-hand corner, I've got in, in the equipment list that I gave you there, Charles, there's an equipment list in front of you, but there's fans on top of those concession stands that I felt like need to be checked at least once a year. So I've got that in, in here. With the units of the gymnasium, specifically to that picture, have y'all ever had any water issues? Every once in a while, there's a little bit of dripping. That will come off the ductwork down into the onto the floor. I mean, yeah, because but you know, water you can't tell a lot of times where the source is. It could be running all the way down there and dripping here. Yeah. But um, I'm almost positive that I know water was coming out of one of those units not long ago. Has it damaged your floor ever? Okay, oh, yeah. you're able to catch it. Okay, because w- one thing when you've got a restriction like that on that return side that potentially could cause those units to start freezing up in the summertime, um, which then ultimately can create, when, the, when that ice melts, can cause water problems. So this is a, uh, Bob shared the uh, utility costs that you guys have, and this is a, a key part of the financial, part of the budget piece that we're gonna share. We're moving past the photos of, of things and moving into the financial part. Um, we were able to compare we use 121,000 square feet. That's what I was able to get off of Google. And uh, basically there it says, your building scores a 49 it's below average versus your peers. So that's comparing other K through 12 schools uh, based on the square footage. It's comparing like, uh, like use for like use. And Is that square footage pretty accurate for where you guys are here? Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. It might, I think it's 115 in this building and you know probably just a couple in the other building out there maybe 50 yeah Phil Hill. overall it's about that okay so go ahead and go back to that yep. so what we looked at it and when you look at a at a building and how it's performing typically the 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 lead indicators are the consumption is how much energy is a building consuming to be able to maintain temperatures and humidity and when you start seeing, you know, a building like yours, as, as, you know, as, as Matt was mentioning earlier, there were some initial investments made during the construction process here to get high efficiency equipment. Um, so when you do that and you've got a newer building, 
you know, you really want to see a higher performance. And in this case, we like to see, you know, closer to a 75 mark, which is closer to kind of energy star. So the fact that now we're at seven, eight years old, we're already starting to see, you know, your score dropping to, you know, 50 mark, below 50 in this case, um, is a true indicator that your systems are losing efficiencies. And unfortunately, the longer they continue to operate in this condition, that score is only going to drop. Thus, your costs are only going to continue to go up. So my first question is, Yeah, absolutely. You may take it. Yeah, go ahead. So, there's a lot of variables, right? And, and when we look, when we look at really being able to track energy, and, and there's there are some additional things that we can put into place based on your current systems and with your current utility company, where we can actually start capturing real time data. So this is a snapshot, right? What we did here is we took a, a year's worth, twelve months, and put it based on your actual square footage to see kind of where we're at. We just stepped on the scale. Um, what we could do. Correctable Yeah. And, and there is almost all 100% of it for sure. And, and once the systems are in good working order, like an example, when the ERVs are operational, when all those systems are operational, um, what you're going to be able to see is, well, one, the first impact is going to be in the condition in the, in the building. Right. You're, you're going to feel humidity is going to be removed. You're going to feel, you know, warm when it's supposed to be warm, cool when it's supposed to be cool. And what you'll be able to do is then you'll be able to start trending and seeing because it all takes into consideration the, ex, the outside temperature. So, you know, we'll be able to start normalizing that spend on actual data to real time watch that go down. But realistically, you know, assuming the majority of this waste is directly relying on the condition and the operation of the equipment, you know, you should see that drive down pretty, pretty instantly. Uh, this is a neat little graphic to show that you're spending 66000 on annual HVAC spend. And uh, the bar charts at the bottom left-hand corner, if we were to save 10% on the utility bill, what would you do with an extra 6,600 bucks? If we were to save 20%, the $13,000 number, I believe somewhere between the 20 and 30% is where we could easily save by getting the coils cleaned, having the belt laser aligned like they're supposed to be working correctly and uh, optimizing all the things that you currently have going like the ERVs, the real energy savers. Then as far as the pricing goes, so we offer three different programs. The, uh, the best program is what we call the full coverage program. <clears throat> and that is for $6,700 a month. We would come out once a quarter, change the filters. The preventative maintenance would be cleaning the coils, uh, doing all the uh, uh, belts aligning and, and then it, all the repair and replacing you know, labor and parts and materials. All that will be covered under the full coverage program. 
the better program, the $3,700 a month would be, we'd still come out once a quarter and, and, and clean everything, uh, test and inspect each piece of equipment would be tested and make sure it's working. But as we found things or as we find things that need to be repaired, we would say, hey, Bob, this needs to be replaced. It's going to cost this much money. And we'd bill you for that. The good program is, is really, I put it there as like a indicator. A lot of times our competitors are, are coming in at that good price, uh, saying that they'll do the cleaning and all. But that includes you know, really testing and testing and inspecting everything once a quarter, but uh, all the preventative maintenance if it needs to be cleaned or needs to be repaired, we would simply say, hey, it's gonna cost us much to clean it. And uh, are there any questions on this so far? I've got some more numbers. So basically the best is everything except for the cost to replace an entire unit. Yeah, exactly. So when, it, when the $5,000 compressor goes out, that's like you know, super expensive. Uh, that would be covered under us if it goes out a week after we start working with you guys. Uh, mo you know, pumps and motors and all the things that go out that cost you lots of money. Motors, exhaust fan motors, motors. Right, motors, motors, motors. <laughs> Everything except for the coil, because that's not a movable part, it's just the coil, and uh, the whole unit itself, the replacement piece of it. So these are, uh, when Bob and I got together, uh, these eight buckets that we talked about were where all of the costs for owning and operating your system fall. And he shared some numbers. Um, we'll come back to the equipment replacement piece. But from an energy standpoint, that's where that $13,000 comes from. I, I used that that we saw in the energy scorecard. Uh, you're currently paying about 66,000 in energy it'd be down to 52,000 uh, with our program. Let me just make this a little bigger. There you go, much better. The, uh, the contracted services, so you guys are, are, are grossly being underserved right now with, with PM. The 12.5 the is what you're paying currently for the services. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but that really should probably be about double. You know, it should be what I, I mentioned that that $30,000 number is what normally we see competitors come in at, is that $30,000 number. Uh, the the $5,000 for in-house staff, that's basically Rock's time and, and Bob's time and uh, all the, and having to show them up on the roof and deal with it on a Saturday. <laughs> uh, the administration, that's, I assume with the $22,000 in major repairs and service calls, I'm assuming that, um, that that was probably like 20 invoices. So if we said $100 an invoice, that's where the $2,000 came from. Does that make sense? I just kind of threw a number on tr trying to... Well, 20 times 100 uh, is where I got the... Okay. Yeah, what we're capturing here is ultimately the time involved in generating purchase recs, um, handling issues. I mean, and it sounds like um, based on your current purchase requirements is you all have to get multiple bids. Is that right? 
So if you've got a major problem, then you've got to call in multiple companies to try to look at it, um, give you quotes or whatnot. There's obviously time well, invested. Contracts, we have to get multiple bids. Oh, on contract. Okay. Not for like a repair. Not repairs. Okay. So, yeah. So it would just be the time involved with handling multiple invoices, dealing with multiple issues, things like that. I've even, on occasion, especially with plumbing, I've gone and bought things on my own to try to make it cheaper and just have them come and install it. Install it. Because I can get it for less than what I'm getting them and then paying the markup. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've just, because there's been so much, I've been trying to find ways that I can actually you go can. back and... But that's me driving across town. It's, you yeah, know, then you look at really how much your time is worth. And, you know, unfortunately, there's so many hours in a day. And then this, uh, the objective number one you guys talked about was making sure that teachers and staff and students are, are, are comfortable. You know, what's the lost productivity? What does it mean if we lose one student? You know, what if we lose one teacher uh, because they're just not, not comfortable with the situation? Hard to put a number on that, but you know that all the visitors that came Saturday for the basketball game. What if they don't look forward to coming to the next basketball game because they're just not happy, or the home team? You know, all those are things that we. It's hard to put a dollar amount on. Well, in a lot of cases, I mean, that's that's the parents, right? So if they yeah. they come here and they're hot and humid, they can only assume that you know when their students here in class that it's the same kind of conditions. The 1500 I, I put in there, Bob, that was from the rental units of those cooling units that you have because you have two systems down and you, you had to rent, you had to pay $1,500 to rent those units. And I, I, I used the best program here, the full coverage program, just to show how it would look. And uh, let's go back up here to the top. So this equipment replacement piece, you, know, you have 400 and 69 total tons of cooling capacity on your roof. That's, a, that's if you add everything up, how much can it cool? That's what we measure with in, in this industry. Uh, if you were to go replace everything today, the average cost in South Carolina is about $4,000 a ton. So your total investment on the roof is conservatively, I was telling Bob, it's actually probably closer to 5,000, 6,000, but conservatively, $1.8 million is all your assets on the roof that are you know, cool in this place. You've invested a lot of money. Yeah, it's probably by far your number one investment that you have in the facility. The average useful life is 12 to 15 years. You're currently right at between seven and eight years. So you've got seven years left. So if we take that $1.8 million this is all the non-movable parts. It's about 80% of that equipment. Divided by the seven years you got left, it comes to 214. That's where the 214 came from. So basically that means that from a financial standpoint, Nancy, we probably need to be squirreling away $214,000 a year to replace this equipment in seven years when it... No problem, dies. right? <laughs> sure. I'll get right on that. <laughs> Start printing, right? <laughs> this number came from, if we go with more of a proactive approach to maintaining the equipment, we believe we can get five more years out of it. So instead of the 15 years, let's extend it out to 20 years at minimum. We've got some pieces of equipment going 30, 35 years because we've been taking care of them for a long time. So that, 
I think you would rather set aside, squirrel away 42,000 a year <laughs> as opposed to the 214. But that's where that number comes from, from a equipment replacement. Does that make sense from a capital standpoint? And I, and I understand capital expenses might be different than PM service agreement uh, expenses, but we're trying to capture the whole pie here. So I, I like to hand this out if you don't mind. This is a, kind of like a one page proposal here. It's got the three different options at the bottom and it, it, it kind of summarizes, because that's a bunch of equipment. You got like 93 pieces of equipment. But I, I tried to summarize it the best I could as far as what's covered. And the top two you know, paragraphs are just explaining the history of kind of how we came out when we first started. And then the recommendations, obviously, I'm recommending that we uh, get you guys some help. <laughs> you know, I don't know what your thoughts are at this point, but I'd like to open it up and see what your thoughts are, Nancy and Bob. So, as I told you, we, if, if we are allowed or can make the changeover, I give a 30-day notice to walk away. Are you able to come in before that? And, you know, like I said, I brought train in here. I, I don't think it's breaking any contractual agreement. If everything works out well and we're able to get this contract to go through, I'm worried about another month and a half of this equipment running like it is. Mm -hmm. That's my biggest concern. So, I, you know, if we, if we do this, how soon can we actually get someone up on the roof, literally, is, is my concern, to start working on these. Uh, well, I, I guess from, you know, from an agreement standpoint, what would be a reasonable time for you all to be able to get agreements executed? Uh, well, this right here is going to something. This amount's got to go through advisory, which we have a uh, we've got a meeting next week, and then it has to go through diocesan finance because anything over a certain value, dollar value has to go through the diocesan office. So okay. that, I mean, it, it'll be a month before, uh, and then with Christmas, I mean, you're looking at End of January before you'll get End of January? Okay. I mean, there there would be no issues to, to have boots on the ground, you know, 1st of February, if that's the time needed. I mean, I'd have it yesterday if I had the final say. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the, the overall objective and, and really kind of going through this is to really expose, if you will, that you've got good systems. There, there, there's no reason, I'm, and I'm assuming, well, actually, I take that back. I shouldn't assume because based on what you shared, your stuff has probably never been commissioned since the get-go. Since when you got your CO, 
you've probably always had some kind of problem. Well, you know, can, construction is very different than operational. From a construction standpoint, they, you know, there's ultimately a checklist of scope of work that they're obligated to complete. That's based on checklists. You know, units installed, power ran to units, gas ran to units, ductwork hooked up, check, 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 we're good. Now, a commissioning standpoint, that truly is really the test and balance part of that. Um, that is really going through a, a startup checklist on the equipment, giving readings from horsepowers on motors. What that does is that verifies that the alignment and the belts are, are adjusted properly. It's like, it's like calibrating my speakers in my house. <laughs> Yeah. And you want to balance it. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. So, How and what we. Is this an annual, or is this, will it adjust annually, or is this like a three or five year contract? One year. One year? And on average, what percentage does it increase? Typically about five. Yeah. Well, we, we typically, five. we're about three in lieu of, of material cost increases and labor increases, we're typically running about five. But, um, but, but based on that, you know, once we come in and can truly go through the equipment and get everything cleaned up and really make sure it's commissioned properly, um, you know, I, you'll be able to feel a difference immediately. Hmm. Yeah. And with that point also, we'll be able to identify what are the true deficiencies that exist. Well, and truthfully, there's still going to be a cost of repairing some of these units. That's right. So, I mean, that's going to happen up front in addition to that. Mm -hmm. Well, that was um, something Bob and I talked about, too. You know, Nancy, if we really, if we put in here what, you know, that, the number that it probably should be, which is probably 29000 and on major repairs, it really should probably be forty-five, fifty thousand, based on that list of the the two-page list of things that were wrong, that have been deferred. If we put fifty thousand in there, it just so all of these issues makes it it's more. not like a pre-existing thing. Like it will be addressed, correct? Or are these things that have to be fixed? They are pre-existing things. So we have to fix all these things prior to this contract. Uh, you could say it a lot more eloquently than I can, but yeah. So, so for the full if, coverage, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, during the initial PM, if there are if there are system issues identified, meaning if there's something broken, okay, like whatever those ERVs, we don't know why they're turned off. It very well could be a simple thing as maybe they're not adjusted right, so they were out of alignment and causing things to yeah, get. I'll tell you straight up, a few of them are just their motors are not working. Yeah. So, and, and the quote that I got from the head mechanic time because I'm sitting there worried about how much this is costing me and then he'll go well truthfully you don't need to heat or cool it with that ERV and he said that's providing the fresh air or whatever it, I said so I don't need to fix that right now I'm still the op the, the system's operating and it's cooling hmm. he said yes so unfortunately I've put off some yeah and, and unfortunately I think Maybe he doesn't fully understand. 
the intention and the purpose of an enthalpy wheel. Um, because unfortunately, when when a wheel is rotating, okay, you've got outside air, which is dirty. Now, granted, it's going through some filters and things like that, and you've got the inside air going out. Those wheels are essentially considered self-cleaning because dirt's going in this way, and then as it rotates into the outside air, the air, the dirt gets blown back out. Well, as soon as that wheel stops moving, all that dirt that's collecting on that surface is now just accumulating. Filter. It's a big filter now. It becomes <laughs> a big filter. And unfortunately, when that becomes a filter, now it's a restriction. So when those systems are designed, they're designed with the pressure drop across that media into account for how much air it's supplying and how much air it's exhausting. When that becomes restrictive, if that unit is designed for 3,000 CFM, you may now only getting 2,000 CFM, which means that that unit's rated at 20 tons of cooling, you may be only getting 15 to 12 tons of cooling out of that unit. So it all truly has to work correctly to get the right operating conditions out of that unit. So say we came in and said we're going to do the best one. Mm-hmm. What is it going to cost us in addition to this to on like just ballpark to fix the issues we have before we can even start all the maintenance stuff? So so actually the the first PM is the maintenance. So when when we when we start that PM, the first PM we're going through and cleaning everything up. Um, in addition to that, we're finding with any of those issues. When we identify those issues, we'll then provide you a quote of what it will take to fix those parts or pieces. Um, but the labor for all of this is included as mm-hmm. part of That's this. right. So we're not paying for the additional labor. That's right. Just to repair whatever issues were already there that aren't. Yep. There. Yeah. For us, we're going we're gonna to incur about 30 to 40% of our annual labor on that first PM. So we're making a significant investment in your equipment to get it work, to get it cleaned up, to get it serviced. Um, and fortunately, after doing that, a lot of what were perceived as being problems get resolved mm-hmm. during that. It's just the parts that are broken. You know, you can't once a once a motor is dead, that motor has to be replaced before it operates again. But once we identify that, then our next step would be we would come back in with and sit down with y'all and really identify what those deficiencies are. Um, at that point, you have options. Um, you can either opt to obviously approve the repair of those components. Once that pr- repair is performed, it's now covered moving forward. So if it were to go out again in a month, that part is, is now rolled into the agreement. It's covered. Um, if you opt not to make that repair, we can either exclude that component or that system from the full service agreement, um, or we can opt and just cancel agreements. And then you would just pay us for what time we've got invested in doing that initial PM and we move forward. Um, so you're by, by no means are y'all ever handcuffed to us to January, it's you know we 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 see it as this is a it's a partnership and on the upfront we're making that very first very large leap of that investment to get your stuff 
you know, up and running. And then you just, then we build monthly. And then from that point, it's truly a proactive preventative maintenance. And then when we're here doing maintenance, the way this program truly becomes successful is when we start identifying anything worn or doubtful, anything that's potentially going to cause that unit to go down, we go ahead and repair, replace those components, ideally before they fail. Because from a scheduling and from an efficiency standpoint, it's a lot more efficient for us to go ahead and take care of it while we're here versus having to wait for you to call us on a Saturday, on a Monday morning when you come in and something's broke. We've got to, you know, we've got to then dispatch technicians to come on site and do that work. And from a get approval standpoint, I know a lot of those repairs you were deferring a little bit, I think you said, because you'd have to go and ask for more money and, and that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> you know, uh, as far as our, our lane is to put a bunch of labor hours in the very beginning so that we don't get those service calls. Other companies will provide a real low service agreement and make their money on the service calls and make their money when they have a major repair at two in the morning or Saturday at five o'clock in the afternoon. That's where they make their money. So we do, we try to take care of all the PM in the, in the beginning of the startup so that we don't get those service calls. We don't make money rolling trucks to come out here and fix things when it's inconvenient for you guys or us, but. What do you see, Bob and Nancy, as the next step, or what are your thoughts? Well, half of most of us getting turned over on her side, and I have, like I said, it's got to go up before our board, and then it's got to go to the dynasties. And I'm just hoping we're, because I won't be here for a board meeting, so I'll know when, whenever they're done, and I'll get the answer. If, if they say no, I have no clue where we're going with this because I'm going to be up Poop's Creek without a paddle. And I just, I don't know. Nancy, do you participate in the board meetings? Mm -hmm. You do? Yeah. What, ha, walk us through what is that, how would this, something like this be presented in that meeting? Well, our next board meeting is actually next week and the entire purpose of it is to approve the budget for the next fiscal year so that we can set tuition. So this is a good part of that. Yeah, because <laughs> this would not have been part of it. Luckily our enrollment is um, going up. Yeah, so I mean, I foresee us doing one of the, it's just a matter of figuring out what we can do. Um, I mean, ideally, yes, we, I would like to do, you know, I would like to do the one that includes the labor and basically everything, because to me, it's a whole lot easier for budgeting. Oh, yeah, flat per month and yes. it's not going to go up yeah. based on a compressor going out where are we going to find that, you know, that would be if i had to choose that's what i would choose too but it's just I, i've got to crunch numbers to be honest with you and mm -hmm. just figure out if it's doable it, um, explain to us the, your the bid process you mentioned for agreements that there's a bid process well we've already gotten one okay <laughs> so i mean i think at this point in time I mean, for something like this, I, I think the two would be fine, especially when you compare the and two. And really, we could just throw in Walker White's annual contract as a renewable contract. Yeah, so I mean, we truly, That's the third. I, yeah. I think we're good on that situation. It's, and I, I mean, if you even have that presentation that I could show them to kind of see the images or if you have any of those that you could share. And I, 
I, I just want to offer this to you. I, I, I normally present in front of the boards okay. in a very condensed manner. Yeah. Uh, if that's an option, I'm, I'm. It won't be for next week, okay. unfortunately, because it's so rushed and they also have their Christmas social okay. after it. Um, but I will, I will definitely.